All right, we have another awesome podcast lined up today. This is like a sick one-two punch. So the last podcast we had, we had a guy on talking about speed. Now we have a, a jacked-up guy. If I had to describe him, he looks like the Staten Island version of the Incredible Hulk. He's completely and totally <laughs> jacked. He's a guy that I know deep down all of our guys want to look like, and they've asked for him to be on this podcast so he can help explain how he just got, got as big as he is, and he was a football player like us, and how he made that transformation. So, uh, Matt Castellano, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me on, Coach. So, Matt, before we get into your physique, I gotta—I have to talk about your backstory. You know, I, I think uh, being who you are as a as a high school player, as a high school football player, single by the sea, I think it it obviously massively contributed into the person you are today. So, if I do the game of word association of you and your brother Joe, the word that comes to my head immediately is just tough. You guys are like the toughest guys I know. What made you guys like that? Were you raised a certain way? You think you were just born with it? Did something happen? What made you just be so tough? Um, you know, I, I would I would say it was definitely something we were born with um, because we weren't really groomed that way. My parents, our parents, weren't really the aggressive, combative type. They're always very conservative, reserved. So I think it's something we were just kind of born with. And uh, I think Joe just kind of led by example for me, so... I just kind of followed suit, and then everything just kind of, you know, just we were born with it. <laughs> I remember, I think it was your junior <clears throat> year, I went up to your dad at some sort of parents' players' lunch during camp. It was probably camp is over, and I said, what What did you do to your sons? I want to raise them. If I have kids, I want to raise them. Just like <laughs> and he looked at me like I was crazy. I, I guess you're right. He didn't have an idea of, the, you know, what he, what I was talking about. Yeah, no, like he is, uh, he's obviously I, I love my father, great father, but he is not anything like, uh, my type of personality at all. So, uh, <laughs> I don't know where it came from, but it's a, I would definitely say it is a good, uh, it is a good quality to have. So, so I wanna, I'm glad it worked out that way. I want to talk about someone who does have a, a quality or qualities very similar to you. It's, it's coach Manos. So I think, you know, St. Joseph by the Sea has a long history of really good nose tackles. And I think it's in large part because, hey, the head coach was – he had that personality. He's going to line up against that center. He's going to take that guy's will every single time. And he's just going to ruin his day every game. And you absolutely had that mindset. What do you think is so unique about your relationship with Coach Manos? Well, uh, my relationship today with Coach is uh, I would say he's uh, one of my best friends. You know, he's someone I talk to almost every day. And it's not just me. I, I know myself and, and many others could say the same things. We owe a lot uh, about our lives and, and we're incredibly indebted to him because, like you said, with football and everything, the man I am today, I don't think I would be without coach. So my relationship with him now is obviously much different than when I was a player. We kind of quarreled a bit. Um, but yeah, coach is definitely one of my best friends, uh, today. And I still give him about life just from his wisdom and knowledge that he passes on in his weird, quirky ways. You know, when do you think the relationship started to change? Probably like, well, like most things in life, you really don't appreciate things until after they're gone. Um, so it was probably after football senior year when I actually, started to understand and appreciate why he was so hard on me, you know, as a player, because I think he saw a lot of himself in me, you know, um, at that age. So he was always kind of tough on me and we, you know, we quarreled a lot. I think one time we actually 
Uh, I think I don't know if we fought. I think I threw a shoe at him or something, or we got a huge <laughs> argument. Um, um, but yeah, it was definitely after senior year when I I, I kind of matured more and and understood why he was the way he was to me and you know not only to me but you know to a lot of the guys on the team now from a coach's perspective we saw a turn in the beginning of your junior year because he would he would act a certain way to you but then he'd come in the coach's office and say that kid was me and we we saw that he had this insane respect for you and i think a large part of it was a your your off attitude and b just how damn strong you were that he felt like you were him but I don't. I don't think he let you know it that much until, or you maybe you didn't realize it enough until you graduated. Yes, a hundred. Well, hundred percent. He never really. Well, a, a couple of times actually before the games, you know, he would like kind of pull me in and say like, "Sean, you're me." Like, like you know, just you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, um, but yeah, I didn't really pick up on it till after, and I'd be like, "Ah, aha, I knew what he was doing here in this particular situation." Or, "Ah, I get it," you know. So let, let's talk a little bit about some games. Uh, as a high school player, who would you consider your biggest high school rivalry? Uh, you know, I guess the easy answer would be Farrell, just off of proximity and knowing the players. But I, I'm going to say St. Anthony's because my goal coming in as a freshman was to eventually win a A championship. And, you know, they were the cream of the crop. They were the best of the best. So my goal was always to beat them. Um, and we obviously had some classic games with them. Um, wish we had one more. Um, but uh, I would say St. Anthony's <clears throat> just because they were the best and I wanted to beat them. Did you, do you feel in your heart that you did beat them? Um, you know, it's – no, because the, the, the paper says differently. I mean, and you know when people say, oh, don't, don't put it in the ref's hands. Well, I mean – they, they called a touchdown. It wasn't a touchdown. They called a missed field goal, missed field goal. So it's not like, you know, we left it up to the refs. They kind of screwed us. But um, still, even at the end of the day, they won, we didn't. So I, I, I'm not going to say we beat them. And that's why I love you, man. Because, yeah, the, the refs, uh, just for those of you who have no idea what we're talking about, we lost 36-35 to St. Anthony's on the final play of the game. Uh, I'll let you tell that story in a second. But there was a, a field goal that was missed. On TV, clearly missed. <laughs> They gave him uh, the points for it, and then there was a touchdown where they did not in the end get in the zone, and they gave him the touchdown. So a lot of people hold that in their hearts. But I'm with you. We put them in situations. Maybe it didn't have to be uh, fourth and one. Maybe they didn't just even kick a field. Exactly. It happened. Exactly. So what what is your interpretation of what happened on that last play, Saint Anthony's? So that fourth and one. I mean, like if you if you. Like, if you told me as a freshman, we came in, we were, what, the rank, like the 16th ranked team overall in the league or the 18th out of 21, that my senior year, it would be fourth and one, five seconds on the clock. If you stop them, you win. Like, that's all you could really ask for as a, as a football player. Like, that's all you want, and especially me as a nose guard. And uh, I don't know if you remember this. We played, I think, our first game that year was against Warwick. You remember we played that team upstate? Yes, I do. And we there was this, a, a particular play. We blew them out, but it was like early in the game. It was like a fourth and short, and we stuffed them good. And, you know, the whole the defense were going crazy. And I remember on the sideline you said, I want to see that reaction when we're playing better teams because we were clearly better than them. I want to see that reaction. I want to see you guys jumping up, coming together. And we were literally in the same exact situation, obviously different game, 
different circumstances playing them for like four weeks later. And uh, we stopped them. Like, I, you know, it was obviously tough for me to see as a nose guard because I'm on the bottom of the pile. But I remember looking up and saying, this guy isn't – he's nowhere near the end zone. Like, he, his, the, there's no way the ball crossed and he got knocked over. He just wasn't in. And I'm getting – I'm coming up ready to start cheering, throwing my helmet off, going crazy. And then I see the ref put his hands up, and it was like a, a dagger to my heart. That to this day, I'm not joking. I'm 30 years old. 12, 13 years later, still, uh, still irks me. Yeah, and you, and you wonder, you know, you obviously you can take these things in life either way. Can you let crush it or build you up? But for me, that is absolutely fuel, and I learned a lot from that. Like, I maybe we should have celebrated more earlier. I, I think one of our guys ripped the ball out of his hand. We, it yeah. It to the you know, there's so many things that could have happened, and uh, I think it eats at a lot of guys in that defense. But I think it changed you all in a positive way. Yes, for sure, for sure. So I ask a lot of players this question. Uh, if there's a game you wish you could take back, what would it be? Is it the St. Anthony's game? No. So, you know, I would say it's one team, two games. So, our senior, I would say Chaminade. So, we played Chaminade. I think it was the, directly the week after St. Anthony's. So, we were obviously feeling ourselves a little bit because we blew out Farrell. We took St. Anthony's to the wire. And Chaminade really wasn't looking too hot on film. So, we kind of went in there overlooking them, thinking we were going to beat them. And they ran like, uh, I don't know if it was a power ride, but they ran a lot of power. And uh, as a defense, I mean, we, not, we might not have been the most athletic defense, but if there was one thing we weren't going to let you do was run it down our throats. Yep. And that game, they ran it down our throats. Um, it was a close game. I think we lost 28-21, but they ran the ball right down our throats. And as a nose guard and as a front seven as a whole, we played horrible. So that was one game I'd like to take back because I think we were clearly better than them that we just – weren't ready or we're overlooking them, which then leads into the, the playoff game against them. Um, I remember like leading into that game, you, you were talking about like redemption and it was pretty much like man on man, who wants it? This is what this game's going to come to. And we went out there and I, they ran a completely different offense. Uh, I don't know if you remember, yep. they spread us out. And when they did try to run it, we stopped it, but uh, they spread us out and we just, that game, and like, I remember that game specifically as well because that we played them on the day of the New York City Marathon, so we couldn't take the Verrazano there. So we had to take like some wackadoo way there. It took us like two and a half hours to get there. By the time we got off the bus, we literally had like no time to stretch. We had to like put our uniforms on in place. So it was just like a, you know, the wheels, just, everything just went wrong that day. Um, so yeah, I would say Shamanad if I could take those two games back because I, I think we were clearly the better team and just, you know, Things just didn't go our way both times. And both games, we had a rough defensive first half. You're right. The first game, they come out with three backs, two tight ends, and they're methodically pounding the ball down the field. I think we changed our defense at halftime, went to like a, from a 30 front to a 40 front, and we slowed them down. The second game, you're right. They start throwing the ball. They're coming out with twin sets. They're running bootleg. Again, we, we make adjustments at halftime. We come back. We slow them down. In fact, we stopped them. It was like on a fourth and – 10 or something and Steve Roman's yeah uh, Steve Roman penalty right yep. the celebration yeah and his yeah. celebration was he said yeah <laughs> yeah I remember yeah and I remember oh, coach man. Clem said to the ref Are you trying to tell me you threw a penalty for a guy saying yeah 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 yes, <laughs> I remember that. now correct me if I'm wrong is one of those two games did you forget your helmet did I no you know what happened was my uh I couldn't fall I couldn't find my equipment bag or something in the locker because the first time we played, it was the first game. The first time we played them, 
we had to share a locker with like the band or something. <laughs> and I couldn't find my equipment bag. So I'm going nuts looking for my helmet. And uh, I start accusing like the band kids. I'm screaming at these nerdy band kids. And then Maddox was coming in there yelling at like the band coats. They thought we were out of our freaking minds. <laughs> um, but eventually we found that like the bag was, I think, left on the bus or something or under the bus. But yeah, that was that story. That yeah, that sticks in my head. In fact, as a, as a coach from that point on, I'm always like, we got to bring extra helmets just in case this can happen. You can have your guy lose his helmet. It's gonna screw everything up. So that that stuck in my mind for years. Now this is a question that I ask of every football player from St. Joseph by the Sea. When you hear the word success, which player comes to mind? Jeez, um, it, it depends how you equate success i mean do you base it off of you know money or you know for me like th- there's a couple of, there's a couple guys that come to mind uh they're all joes so like when i look at a guy like joe trunzo right so joe is obviously super successful with what he does he's he's very wealthy he's going to be even more wealthy but but joe is someone who his his mind is is so different from every anybody i know like even at 18 years old he was like so business oriented and thought so outside the box from like a normal 18 year old. Um, and even like today, like his mind just works so differently than anyone else. Like he looks at any situation. He kind of tries to break it down as, as much as possible and try and dissect it and figure out ways to improve it, make it better, make it easier, et cetera. So Joe is like a special person. Um, also a guy like Joe Ignary, um, like if you were to if you if you were to go back to, to, to Joe Ignary's high school teachers and tell him like what he is today, they would look at you like you're crazy. Like because he's like he's a doting father, a loving husband, great friend, one of the best guys I know. And at 17 years old, even myself, if I was a betting man, which I am, yep, um, I would say that Joe would not be like that. You know, so I think Joe is 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 the ultimate success story. And also, like he grew up in a single parent household. When you just when you look at the statistics like that, it's it's obviously more difficult. Um, so Joe is definitely a success story. And then I'll I'll throw my brother in there. Joe is like a is like a leader of men. You know, like if if you had to pick out who would be a special forces soldier out of the group of C football, you'd pick Joe. Um, he's just everything a man. And I'm not just saying that because he's my brother. I would probably never say this to him face to face, but Joe is just a, he's everything a man should be. So the, those three Joes come to mind when I think of like success and what I what I want to be if the man I could be. So I gotta say I love your answers. Like a couple of other guys on this podcast, when I asked them about success, they didn't talk about the guy with the most touchdowns or the most rushing yards or who was on a team that won the most games. They picked out guys because of their character. And you picked out three different characters. They're completely different from each other, but their character defines who they are and what they really become. So I want to segue this into what is your relationship like with your brother Joe? You guys are both uber alpha males. Uh, Is this a highly, is it like an insanely competitive relationship? Are you guys calling each other out if there's even like the slightest bit of weakness showing from the other one? So, I mean, we, it's not, not a really competitive relationship. I mean, I don't even know if Joe really works out a lot now. Um, but I think my relationship with Joe is, I don't think I ever told it to him specifically. Joe made it very easy for me to grow up as a person. Like I never had to worry about 
what the right decision was, or if I was in a, like a situation where I was like, ah, oh, what should I possibly do? I would just think, well, what would Joe do in the situation? And if that was what he would do, then I, then I knew that was the right answer. So Joe made it very easy for me growing up. I didn't always make the right decisions. Um, that's for sure. But Joe, you know, he made it very easy for me to understand which path I should go down. So for that, I am obviously eternally grateful. But we're, yeah, we're not very competitive because we don't really, Joe really doesn't work out a lot or we're really not doing sports. So, um, but if we ever do get into an argument, we are extremely stubborn and we're not going to put our foot down, even if, you know, I know he's right or he knows I'm right. So when did you become obsessed with training? If my memory serves me correct, I think it was between your sophomore and your junior year that you became an absolute monster. Did it start then or did it start after you graduated from high school? Well, I, you know, I, I fell in love with the weight room immediately. Like freshman year, it's just something I always enjoyed. Um, and obviously I was very strong, like in high school. I was putting up like pretty pretty big numbers for a high schooler with like bench squat and stuff. Um, but the, the transition into like what I do today probably started, uh, geez, I'd say around like 23 or so because I was training. I was, I, I, like I said, I always loved the weight room. I was always training, but I, I said to myself and I was training extremely hard. I'm like, I'm training very hard. I'm eating super healthy or what I think is super healthy and I'm not getting the results I want. So there's got to be something wrong here. So at that point, I started doing like a lot of research of the proper way to training, the proper way to diet. And it's one of the things I tell people all the time. There's a, there's a huge difference between training hard and training hard correctly. There's a huge difference between eating healthy and eating healthy correctly. Like what I was doing, I was having pretty much grilled chicken and broccoli, no carbs, every meal for like an entire year. And I'm like, why, is, why am I not jacked? Why am I not getting the results? And then you start doing your research and you realize there's a lot more to nutrition. It's so in-depth. And the same thing with training. So you mentioned that your training transitioned into what you do today. What is it that you actually do today for the audience? Can you just confirm, are you a professional uh, or competitive bodybuilder? Yes. So, I mean, I, I, I think I'm done with competing. Um, but, yeah, I've done three competitions. I've won two. So I don't know how bodybuilding works is you do like a local level show it's called an mpc national physique committee so you do like a local mpc show if you win that show you qualify nationally for the national level shows there's only a couple of national level shows a year there's like one in vegas one in miami one in chicago there's one in new jersey i think there's one more and if you win or place top two at a national level show you become a pro bodybuilder um so uh the first show i ever did i i came fourth i placed fourth uh, and then the next two shows I did after I won, and then I competed nationally in Miami in 2018 um, and didn't do too well. Um, I placed, I think, seventh out of 18th. But, uh, yeah, so I, I, I did the bodybuilding thing. Right now, I, I, I'm, I, what I'm doing is I, I, I live the lifestyle without being so fanatical about it. Like, if I want to eat something, maybe I'll have it, but I'm not as uh, – crazy as I used to be and we'll talk about that further but bodybuilding is a lifestyle <laughs> that is extremely selfish all right so I gotta ask you this question I asked the same exact question to coach Martino when I had started getting into what I would call a more legitimate diet slash lifestyle I went to a nutritionist he set me up with macronutrients micronutrients a, a meal plan meal timing everything 
But I felt like when I was doing that, my wife was really getting disgusted with me and people were just looking at me like, why are you doing this? And I asked him, I said, coach, does it, does it help you that you're so jacked and people give you leeway? They said, this is at the cost of doing business. You think you get away with more of that discipline socially because you're just jacked up? Um, yes, I think so. Um, but I would all, like, I also tell people not to get discouraged when they, when they start doing it. I think the biggest reason why people stop going to the gym or stop eating healthy is because they try it for like a month and they really don't see any results. And that goes back to what I said previously, but there's a, a difference between training hard and training hard correctly and eating healthy and eating healthy correctly. So if you do go down this path, if you do start getting results, it does become kind of obsessive where you see yourself, you see yourself getting results and you're like, all right, I want to look better. I want to look better. And you just kind of keep pushing it to, you know, how far you could really push your body. So, yeah, I think it's definitely more socially acceptable for somebody who looks at like me, but someone shouldn't be shamed because we all got to start somewhere, you know? Now, what percentage would you say your physique is like? What percentage is training and what percentage is nutrition? I think it's the three. It's the training, the nutrition, and, and the supplement part of it. I think they're all equal. Um, but I, if I had to pick one, I would say the diet is probably the most important um, of the three uh, because you're not – like I know you just said – like you said you go, you went to a nutritionist and he gave you like, you know, your uh, macros, et cetera. There's a – even if foods are equal nutritionally, like even if the data is exactly the same, not all foods are created equal. Some foods, it takes your body longer to digest. Some, some foods, your body absorbs a lot quicker. And those types of foods are better at certain times. Obviously, post-workout, you're going to want foods that your body absorbs quicker. Um, Pre-workout, you're going to want body, like type of carbs that it takes your body a little longer to break down. So... <clears throat> There's all foods aren't created equal. So it's very important when you get into this to really, if you're going with a coach or a nutritionist, they a, know what they're talking about. Or if you're doing the research on your own, there's a lot of great research on the internet, but there's also a lot of bad information on the internet. So you kind of really have to try and get the right information. Um, because if you don't, you're going to start making decisions that just aren't good for your health. So can you give us a, a general view of what you're, diet is like do you go with a macro plan do you do uh, so many meals a I, day? I don't count macros um so like an off season you know like people talk about bulking like my diet really when i start prep for a show my diet is pretty much the same exact as an, my off season diet i'm just slowly slowly dwindling down the carbs and the fats so like every week i'll drop them a little bit the week after i'll drop them a little more but the protein is pretty much always going to stay the same but as I get closer to a show, um, the carbs and fats are going to drop depending on how I look. If I'm getting a little too flat, you know, we may raise the carbs and fats. If I'm, if I'm holding a little of water, we'll start cutting the carbs and fats. I add a little more cardio. But right now, my diet is I eat six times a day. I mean, I can give you my exact breakdown of, like, my meals if you want. Yes, please. Um, so, like, my first meal I wake up, I have um, 16 ounces of egg whites. And 80 grams of oatmeal. My second uh, meal, which is usually my pre-workout meal, I have 90 grams cream of rice. I don't know if you know what cream of rice is. It's I... like that uh, baby cereal. All right. So I have 90 grams cream of rice, 
and either two scoops of whey protein or 16 ounces of egg whites again. I got to stop you for a second. So you said you don't do macros. How do you know that's the right amount to eat? Um, this is the, the uh, program my coach gave me, and I trust him. He trained some of the top bodybuilders in the world. So whatever he says is gospel to me. The results speak for himself. So I just follow his plan to a T, not a gram more, not a gram less with anything. Okay. Sorry to cut you off. Go back, go back to the meals. Yeah. So uh, then while I work out, I just, you know, I have some EAAs, which are essential amino acids while I'm working out. My post-workout meal is eight ounces of lean protein. Those proteins are either 99% uh, fat-free ground turkey, grilled chicken, egg whites, tilapia, cod, tuna. Those are pretty much my choices. Um, So it's eight ounces of lean protein of choice and 200 grams of jasmine rice. Jasmine rice is a form of white rice. So like to start getting into nutrition again, there's this misconception in the world that brown rice is healthier for you. I don't know why that is. Brown rice is something, it, it takes your body a little longer to break down. So you'll have a little more energy for it. So brown rice is something that may be beneficial pre-workout. That way you'll have a little more energy. I know a lot of people have like brown rice that are like long distance runners, marathon runners. But yeah, just anybody who's listening, brown rice is not healthier than white rice or jasmine rice. So if you're going for sushi, if you get it with brown rice, there's no point of doing it unless you like the taste. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's my, my pre uh, post-workout meal. My meal four is eight ounces of lean protein. I'll have cucumbers or asparagus, both of those are uh, the reason why I have cucumbers or asparagus is they're good, for, uh, they're good for the digestive system. It helps your body break down the food a little better. Because when you're taking in a lot of protein, you're, you're bound to have some digestive issues. Um, actually, Pat Brennan had reached out to me recently because um, he's trying to like change his physique. Obviously, Pat's a, like a strength guru, strong as an ox. But he really is trying to educate himself on the nutrition part of it so he's asking me a bunch of questions and he had a bunch of issues you know because he really wasn't used to eating healthy and he was taking in all this excess protein and he's like i'm having i feel bloated i'm, ha- I'm having some gassy a little bit um i'm kind of losing my appetite and i pretty much told him hey start having cucumbers with every meal i gave him a link to a couple of digestive enzymes to take and he just uh hit me up recently he was like dude you're the man thank you so much like my digestive issues went away so Gut health is very important as well. Um, My meal after that, my fifth meal, is I'll usually have a source of protein that is high in fats. So either salmon, flank steak, or like a grass-fed beef with some cucumbers or asparagus. And then my last meal of the day, my meal six, is eight ounces lean protein of choice and just cucumbers or asparagus. So I didn't hear you mention like a case of beer or like Twinkie? No. Is there any drinking going on during this? No, I don't. Well, first of all, I don't like to taste the beer at all. So uh, it's not something that like even I even like kind of crave. Um, so no, there's no, when I say that's all I eat, that's all I eat. There's no, there's no such thing as snacking for me. When people are like, oh, just have a cookie. There's no such thing as having one cookie for me. It's either one cookie or I'm having two <laughs> boxes. It's either, you know, there's no one slice of pizza. It's either, if I'm having pizza, I'm having, you know, 16 slices. So when I say that's all I eat for the day, that is all I eat. The only thing I drink other than that is close to two gallons of water a day. Um, no condiments, nothing like that. 
So yeah, I'm definitely I'm, it's it's definitely different from what most are used to. So I'm sending a not so subliminal message to people on who are going to listen who want to get jacked up but can't stop drinking a lot. If someone has, is drinking a lot, do they have any shot of looking like you? No, uh, unless you're like. Uh, Another thing that, that comes into this bodybuilding, genetics play a huge, huge part. Like the same way everyone's not, everyone can't be a professional bo- uh, football player is the same way everyone can't be a pro bodybuilder. So genetics play a huge part. Certain people are just going to, their metabolisms are faster, their muscle bellies are different, so they're going to hold more muscle than a normal person. But 99% of the population um, has your average genetics. So, yeah, if you're drinking beer, if you're cheating on your diet, you're not getting the proper sleep, proper nutrition, the chances of you looking like me or anything close to me, better, worse, are slim to none. So what you, you clearly know a lot about this stuff. What made you decide to get a coach? Well, because once when I was doing my own research, there was like a, a limit to what I could do without the, the guidance or eyes of another person, you know, so. When I started doing my own information and started learning a little more about nutrition, obviously I was getting a little better results, but I kept saying to myself, I'm training so freaking hard, my, I, should, I should look better than this. So I went out and got who, in my opinion, is one of the better prep coaches in the world, um, hired him, and he has not, I've been working with him since 2017, and the results pretty much speak for themselves, you know? I, I have to I have to believe the reason that you're a successful person is that even with the level that you're at, you still want to learn more. You still knew you know you needed a coach. Like yeah, that, well, and like that's another thing. I am nowhere near like the the glass is nowhere near full. Like I am I'm a sponge. I'm always learning more. Like my, the way I train now today is different than how I trained a year ago. Like I'm I'm constantly taking what other people tell me and trying it out experimenting and that's really the only way to be successful if you're stubborn i know it all i think i know it all i actually just had this talk with pat brennan recently like he has pat is someone who's a strength and conditioning coach at some of the top college programs some nfl teams and he's reaching out for help because he wants to know more about nutrition because he feels if i'm preaching to people about strength and nutrition i should know what the hell i'm talking about i should look the part you know, so if you if you're somebody who sits there and you're stubborn and you say, I know it all, like I look great, I don't need to take anybody else's advice, you're wrong. Like I'm still learning and I I'll never have enough information when it comes to nutrition or training. Where do you where are your main sources for say training and nutrition? My main sources in how? Oh, sorry, uh, in terms of getting information, where are you educating yourself? Um, so a lot of Obviously, YouTube videos of, like, guys I respect, like, top uh, bodybuilders or, like, bodybuilder gurus, you know, like, trainers. I watch a lot of YouTube videos on, like, proper form of training and, like, even podcasts. There's a lot of podcasts out there where, like, you know, former prep coaches and nutritionists, et cetera, will just go on and just, you know, BS about working out, eating supplements. And I'll just, like, a sponge. I'll listen. I'll take what I think is, you know would work for me. I'll try it out. I'll see if it works. If it doesn't, I gave it a shot, you know? Stuff so like let, let's, I want to talk about training now because that's a lot of what we do. We probably don't train like you do, but just you, you were a football player. You were a bodybuilder or are a bodybuilder. What is there a, ma- a big difference between the two styles of training? Huge difference. It's, it's like it's two different worlds. I am – the way I train now, it's pretty much all – 
the, the most effective way to build muscle, and this is not disputable, is time under tension. Now, there may, may be different arguments about how long that time under tension is. Some people will say 45 seconds. Some people will say 60 seconds, 90 seconds, whatever. But the, the best way to build muscle is time under tension. So right now, I, I focus a lot, obviously, on form, a lot of controlled negatives, a lot of force squeezing. Um, so I definitely do not worry about weight or anything like that. The weight will come. But it's pretty much more form and, uh, you know, just time and attention for me when I train. And I'm thinking so sport, totally you're thinking about like, a, I don't know, a, a concentric only deadlift. There is no eccentric portion. So you're not working on size at all. Then. No. And like when, when it cut, like I really don't deadlift anymore. I'll do like rack. You obviously know what rack pulls are. Yep. So I'll do a lot of rack pulls, dead stop rack pulls where I'm, you know, stopping at the bottom. That way, my form is perfect on the way up. You know, I'm not using momentum or anything. So there's kind of ways. I'll even do like tempo squats on the hack squat, where I'll kind of stop midway, hold for like a second, really squeeze, then stop full at the bottom, explode up. So there's ways. You just got to find like there's so many, there's so much information out there, videos, and so. Do you do any cleans or med ball throws or jumps, or is that completely? No, well, as far as cleans, no. Um, but med ball throws, I, I kind of have with this whole quarantine thing, I kind of had to kind of change the way I'm training and stuff, um, due to lack of gym equipment. So, med balls, I, I do do pretty much for core work, obviously. Um, but yeah, like those football type stuffs, clean jerks. No, I don't, I don't do any of that stuff anymore. So, what is your training style like? Let's go pre quarantine and post post quarantine. Uh, guys are going to want to know how many days a week, how many hours a day do you have? Like, uh, so it's six days a week. I usually Sundays I don't train at all, and that's usually the day I have my cheat meal. So six days a week, I, I isolate body parts. So like my normal routine would be Monday, I would hit legs. That day is pretty much more quad dominant, more quad focused. I'll still touch up my hamstrings, but I'm pretty much focusing on the quads more. My Tuesday, I would train chest, do a little, throw a little tricep work at the end as a touch up. Wednesday would be my back day. I would throw in some biceps as well. Thursday is shoulders. Friday would be a day I isolate arms and Saturday would be a day I pretty much hit my entire posterior. So I hit some back and a lot of hamstrings and glutes. And on all of those days, I'm doing cardio as well. The best way to do cardio is fasted. Um, Luckily with me, I have a very good schedule where I'm off a lot. So I'm able to do fasted cardio. Fasted meaning you do it first thing when you wake up uh, without eating. So I'll normally do cardio, fasted for about 30 minutes, and then go to the gym later in the day. But I'm training six six times a week, and those workouts, I've just recently realized that, and it takes a lot, less is more when it comes to the gym. So you know, I don't know if you know who Dorian Yates is. Oh, yeah. So Dorian's style with it was that high-intensity interval training, and his workouts would only last about 45 minutes. And I'm like, ah, that's really not enough. He's only doing like two or three actual working sets per workout. But if those sets are so intense and you're doing them to max effort, then that's really all you need. So lately, my workouts have been a lot shorter, maybe about an hour, because I'm maximizing those efforts, those those sets to the fullest. So it's really only like two working sets per that exercise, but it's to absolute failure. So my workouts last about 60 minutes. But before that, I, w- I was training maybe 90 minutes to two hours a day, maybe. 
All right. So I got a bunch of questions for you. The first one is you had said on Sundays, it's your cheat meal day and you don't train that day. Now for me, when I have my cheat day, I feel like I need to kill it in the morning to counteract all the bad stuff I'm going to do for the rest of the day. What's your mindset on why you're not training on the day that you're cheating? Well, there's so many like uh, concepts people have. Like one of them is the one you just said. So like certain bodybuilders will say, well, the day you have your cheat meals, the day you train your lagging body parts. So if you have smaller legs, you would crush your legs in the gym and then have, you know, a big cheat meal, hopefully hoping, you know, those excess calories will go to the, uh, the muscle that you trained. Um, but my coach and his theory is your body is going to absorb those excess calories more. Um, and it's going to, uh, on a day you don't train and it's going to give your metabolism a little bit of a, of a, of a boost, um, to start up back normal the next day. So that's why I do it uh, on a day. I don't train. I need to experiment with that. I'm going to let you know how that turns out. If I weigh 450 pounds, you'll be, you'll be getting a pretty mean phone. <laughs> yeah. Give it a shot, man. It's <laughs> worth for me. So. Second question. You talked about fasted cardio. What are you doing? Are you jogging? You walking on a treadmill? What's it like? So, well, the first thing I'll say is a lot of people I talk to are like, oh, you know, I run, I run whatever, four or five miles running. Long distance running is one of the worst things you could do as far as building muscle, losing fat. Like when you long distance run, it's proven you you burn muscle, more muscle than you do fat. Hold on. Can, you, running, can I, you repeat that again? Because this has been an epic battle of, of advanced training. So <laughs> long distance running does not, if you're doing things for like aesthetic purposes, what we're talking about right now, if you're ro- long distance running thinking you're going to burn fat, you're not. You're going to burn more muscle than you are fat. It's scientifically proven. No bodybuilders do it. No, nobody with a aesthetic physique really does any sort of long distance running. So I would avoid it at all costs. If it wasn't the coronavirus and I didn't think you'd snap my neck, I'd give you a hug right now. <laughs> yeah, it's the devil. Long distance running is the devil. I mean, just look at, look, at, look at marathon runners and look at sprinters. So what, uh, what is it that – what are you doing on your cardio? So normally I would do the Stairmaster. I would do like kind of uh, intervals. So I would do like 40 seconds low pace, 20 seconds all out. And I would do that for about 30 minutes. But lately, I've been using the Airdyne bike, you know, the assault bike. Yep. And it's the best piece of equipment I've ever used. And I've been doing that same style, like 40 seconds kind of slow, 20 seconds all out for about 20 to 30 minutes. And it is the best form of cardio I've ever done in my life. I'm, I'm, my body is roasted after doing that. Awesome. Okay, last question in terms of training. You talked about having like leg days and maybe, uh, you know, chest days or shoulder days. What are your rep schemes like? Is it mostly based on time under tension or are you doing high reps or what, what's it like? So, well, I'll normally every workout will have what, what I would consider a the core workout of that body part I'm training. So obviously when I'm in my quads, it's if I'm training legs. It's it's whatever squat variation I'm doing. Bench a uh, chest day will be, you know, whatever pressing I'm doing. So those those core workouts I'm doing, they're pretty much, they're a little lower reps. They're pretty much in like the six to 10 rep scheme. I'm pyramiding down. So like three, three sets. First set will be about 10 reps. Second set will be eight reps. The last set will be six reps, but that those six reps should be to failure. You know, I should be able, I should not be able to get six reps essentially, you know, so I'm still programming my weights and I'm trying to progress week by week, depending on if I beat those numbers or not. But those core exercises, it's pretty much three working sets, pyramiding down, you know, 10, 8, 6, 
And the other workout exercises, they're usually in the maybe 10 to 15 rep range, three, three sets per exercises. But yeah, same premise, a slow and controlled, a lot of force negatives, a lot of squeezing at the peak, holding, flexing. Um, one of the hardest things when I talk to people about it, they think I'm crazy, but that mind to muscle connection, I don't know if you are familiar with it. It is something that is so important. And once you get in tune with that mind to muscle connection, I know I sound like a weirdo talking about it, but you could kind of like zone everything out. And that one body part you're training, it's, you just feel the squeeze more. It's, it takes a while to get into it. I don't know when, when it clicks, but when it finally clicks, um, your your start your way of training is just completely changed and altered. No, and you can I, really just zone everything out. It's crazy. I'm a million percent with you. First of all, I'd say that for me, training has now become meditation. And yes, we we've been doing a lot of time under tension movements. We call them OCOM. So slow up and slow down. But really, the intent is you want to feel every muscle in your body clicking as you're moving that weight. You want to feel your absolutely, absolutely. And a bench press, it's not a chest exercise. It's a full body exercise. You should be squeezing everything. Squeeze that bar like you want to break it in half. So I, we are with you on that 100%. Now, I think yeah, we, man, might I... Di- we might differ yeah. on this. So I, I've tried to build the mind-muscle connection with no mirrors. But I'm sure as a bodybuilder, a mirror is a, a critical thing in, in your training. Or am I wrong? Um, It is, but honestly, it could work against you. Because you could be looking at yourself in the mirror and you, you – you don't think you look as good a certain way. So you kind of will, you know, change, you know, to, to make yourself look better in the mirror. So honestly, I, I prefer no, no, no mirrors, to be honest, um, when I train. But that mind muscle connection is something that I can't really explain how how important it is. You'll hear top bodybuilders talk about it, like Kai Green, and you'll be like, yo, this guy sounds like an absolute psychopath talking about it. But once you're actually able to get into it, your your style of training and the way you train will be completely different and vastly better. I prefer doing stuff now to get that mind muscle connection with no weights. Like just simulate a bench press, just sitting as I'm talking. I'm doing it right yeah, now. Yeah, you could do it doing an air squat. You know, really yep. just focus. And and that's what I was doing before. Finally, I'm able to work out at my gym now. Excuse me, my, my gym at work now. But before, I was literally doing like a thousand air squats a day, but I was doing them slow and controlled, exploding up, going down, very slow holding, you know? So you could do it without weight, absolutely. Now, do you feel, because you're not pressing, like if your thing's not weight, how do your joints feel? Are you staying healthy? Well, the, the, if, if anything, this quarantine, if it helped me with, it's my joints have definitely been health, uh, felt better. Because after about, I'd say, two months of not training with any heavy weight at all, um, my shoulders feel vastly better. And now that I've been back in the gym, I'd say maybe a month, I'm starting to feel the wear and tear again. So, but those two months off definitely helped my elbows, shoulders, knees, etc. And what's your recovery game like? Like, do you do anything to recover? That's the one thing I, I should probably focus more time in. And uh, I would normally go for like really deep tissue work, like every two weeks. I'm talking the massages where these, you know, these people are really getting into the ones where it like really hurts. Um, but the reason why I stopped going is for that reason. It, it hurts. <laughs> um, but it works so much because if you look at your body in the mirror, like 
you may be slanted. One arm may be longer than the other. And that's all from like training. So if you go to somebody and get yourself adjusted and really get that deep tissue work and get your, your, again, your body's like an engine. So you want to kind of get like an oil change, um, you know, to get everything up and running again. So the recovery, like deep tissue massages, stuff like that is stuff I should probably do a lot more of, but I don't. So I want to ask you this. You talked about like everybody doesn't know everything. Uh, you got to go out and seek new information. Well, back in the winter of 2010, you and Joe had joined advanced training, which I think was one of the craziest, I don't know, months of training we've ever had. Yes. 20 guys, no weights. We decided to do a no weight session. We used the bands, sandbags. We were in the gym. What made you guys decide to come out and join the group? Well, that was also like for me, you know, when I talked about training and looking for, you know, a proper plan or a proper program, because that's what I was looking for when I joined advanced training that winter, because I was training, but I was like, let me go to somebody who knows what they're talking about and see what the results could be. And I joined that winter and yeah, we did, we were doing a lot of band work. There wasn't a lot of weights. I think you substituted the squat for the broad jump or something from what I remember that, uh, that program. So it's definitely different from what I was used to for sure. Yeah, I've, I've never done anything like that before or after. It was a 100% no weight one month of training just to see what it was like. We used rings. We did pull-ups. We had a 120-pound sandbag in the gym. We had our TNT bands, and uh, I just remember people killing it, absolutely killing it. And I also remember that we finished off that winter with the one and only NCAA-style March Madness. Uh, the, uh, people that were uh, that and I remember that – I don't know if you remember all this, but the thing that stuck in my mind to this day is round one, you beat Steve Roman in a, in a one-arm kneeling cable hold. So just imagine somebody's kneeling on the ground. They're at the cable rack, and they're holding out that, that cable in one hand. You held it for uh, 20 seconds. Then you went head-to-head with Teddy Colhesi, who's like a jump rope maniac, and he beat you – with 240 reps in a minute and then there was no round three and you challenged everybody you said Let, let's see who looks the best without their shirt yes, on and uh, nobody did it. everybody just walked away with it. <laughs> yeah uh yeah a bad bad draw because i can't jump rope. if someone put a gun to my head and said <laughs> jump rope for 10 seconds or i'm gonna kill you i, I i'd get killed because i can't jump rope at all so teddy's like a like a world-class jump rope guy he's going Double hopping, a double scott. I don't know what the hell you call it. And I'm like, all right, this is just not fair because I, I don't think I got one. So when you say bad draw, you literally mean bad draw. So I did a very bad job of explaining it. But during that 2010 Tough Man, sorry, challenge competition, the way we did it was we did it in the form of an NCAA style bracket. So we had, say, 24 guys in the program. We put 24 names in the hat. You picked a name out of the hat, and that was the guy we were going to go against. Then you, out of another hat, we had six different challenges. You pick a challenge out of the hat, and that was the challenge you were going to do. So you had Teddy Colhesi in jump rope, and yes, he got 240 jumps in one minute, so that was absolutely a bad draw. All right, in this segment, we want to get to some rapid-fire questions. So are you ready? I am ready. Okay, what is the worst coaching advice you ever got in football? Worst coaching advice? Um... I would say it wasn't, uh, wasn't so much advice. Um, it was a, a coach who shall remain nameless. Uh, after we lost to St. Anthony's, I was obviously very uh, upset. And uh, walking off the field, he kind of told me that it's okay. You just took the best team in the state down to the last play of the game. There's nothing to be upset about. You should be happy. And I think that kind of goes to uh, – 
the whole like you know participation trophy kind of thing that's going on uh you know in the with kids today uh losing isn't a bad thing but it shouldn't be something that uh you should be happy about so that's why i love you man that's why i love you okay what is the worst training advice you have ever gotten Oh, worst training advice I've ever gotten is probably um, worrying about weight more than form. And, uh, you know, so sacrificing that uh, form for weight was something that uh, I think has been detrimental, is detrimental, and I trained that way for years. So that is probably the one. What is the worst training advice you have ever given? Probably that same one. <laughs> um, <laughs> since I uh, I trained that way for years, and people that I trained with, I was always worried about numbers and trying to beat those numbers any which way possible. And if that meant you know breaking my back, then I would do it. So uh, probably that as well. What failure in your life actually led to huge success? Um. So I'll stick with uh, the fitness thing. I would say uh, the first time I did a bodybuilding show, I. I kind of went into it on my own. I prepped myself. And uh, although I, I, I thought I looked pretty well for somebody who did a first show, I lost. And uh, the guys who beat me, who I'm actually friends with now, they actually went on to be pros, looked way, way better than me. So it was kind of like embarrassing staying on stage next to them, looking like uh, less of a man. So I told myself that night, um, I'm going to get a coach who I trust completely and I am going to come back the next year, do the same exact show and win. And that's exactly what I did. I, uh, I got a coach and a week later I basically started prep for that show. Did like a whole off season. I followed everything this guy told me to a T. If you told me to do 30 minutes of cardio, I did 30 minutes, not a second more, not a second less. Any food, I never went an ounce over, ounce under, anything. I did everything this guy told me for a year. And uh, when I went and did that show again, not only did I win the class, I won the overall for that show and uh, eventually qualified nationally and competed on the national level. So um, that was probably the one failure that led to success most recently. That's awesome, man. My hair is standing up on the back of my neck here in that story. I love that. Yeah, it's cool, man. What advice do you think your 60-year-old self would give to you if it came back and saw you right now? Um, well, my 60-year-old self will definitely be kicking me for the way I – my body's definitely be hurting at 60 um, for the way I train and stuff. So that, that's number one. But it would probably be to just enjoy life more, not get so caught up with all the negativity that's going on right now, just kind of try and tune everything out and actually enjoy life for what it is, you know? What is your number one pet peeve in the gym? Number one pet peeve in the gym is definitely uh, people on phones and taking pictures. Um, if I had, if I owned a gym, I would tell people leave your phones, you know, in in a basket and uh, and train because whenever I'm waiting for a machine, there's a guy on the phone. How many sets you got left? Oh, a couple. And then I see him, he's you know texting for three four minutes. Then he does a set. So uh, and then you see guys, you know, just taking pictures, people recording them. I don't think people train anymore. Because they love to train. And a lot of guys just train just for pitches and Instagram. And it's, it's one of the things I can't stand going to a, uh, a gym. It's people on phones. What is one life lesson that you learned from high school football that has carried over with you to this day? Jeez. Uh, there's so many. Um, but I think the main one is probably 
mental toughness. I think if I if I never played high school football, and more specifically played for uh, C, I, I never would have pushed myself the way I do today. I never I never would have realized how how far I could push the boundaries, how how strong you could actually be, the things you could do. Um, the mental toughness aspect definitely sticks out, but there's so much more the the camaraderie, the brotherhood. Uh, you know, man, I'll say, uh, you know, something about being a St. Joe's guy. And for those core years, the guys that did buy in were all kind of molded and cut from the same cloth. And I think what makes high school football and C football in particular so unique is the fact that the guys to this day, all these years later, are still the core guys, at least, that really bought in are still best of friends. They still keep in contact with the coaches. And that is something that's rare. You know, I talk to guys who played for other programs and maybe they have one or two friends that they, you know, played high school football with that they still keep in contact with. With C, it's like every year, every different group, every senior class, the guys are still best of friends. And even if it doesn't have to be you know, so much my year, but the guys before me, the guys after me, if I run into them this day, it's like we, we could talk and pick up like we never left off because we were so much in common. Like I said, we're kind of molded and cut from the same cloth. And I think that's something that's so – and something I'm extremely grateful for because um, high school football has molded me in so many ways. Um, I would never be able to pay them back with all the lessons it taught me. And I think in some conversations you and I had before this, you had mentioned you had – you know, you know, people in law enforcement, you know, people who were in the armed forces. And even in those scenarios, the product was the same as it was in football, right? Absolutely. I mean, you, you could take my brother as an example, Dave Wilkie as well, Rob Roman, any of my good friends that were in the military. And they'll tell you it's not it's not the same. You know, high school football is something that they hold near and dear because that camaraderie, that brotherhood, you will never, ever replicate. You know, and I like Mano said used to say, not only to me, but I'm sure he said to a bunch of other people is, you know, you'll be chasing this feeling the rest of your life. And it's so true because you will. And that's a, a large part of the reason why I knew even growing up, I would eventually either be a cop or a fireman because I kind of needed that. I couldn't just sit at a desk by myself and do my own thing. I kind of needed, you know, that being around the boys kind of kind of mentality, you know, it's it's actually baffling to as I'm sitting here talking to you, and again, I think we talked about Dave Wilkie came and talked to our high school football team about he's in Afghanistan, and he's thinking about Coach Hench, and Coach Hench is the reason he's alive. He kept stepping and chopping his feet and chopping his feet to get through that valley because he knew that they were coming for him. And, you know, it's just amazing that that high school experience can change a life so much. And I'd say for advanced training, one thing that we've, we've put in a bottle is that feeling of competition amongst men. Like, you don't get it. You don't get it that much once you stop playing organized sports. Of but course. this is something that we've kept our finger on just by keeping guys competitive. I'm not going to say it's the same as high school football, but it, it might be the closest thing to it. I think just the fact that we're hitting sleds and kind of making some physical contact and pushing ourselves outside, there's something different about it. Yeah, absolutely. That I find with the guys you train with extremely admirable because as you get older, people could say they don't care about the way they look, but a large majority, they – they do care about the way they look. That's why they go to the gym. Your group of guys really don't care about that. You you guys, I remember I used to be training for a bodybuilding show. I'd be at Power House at 5 a.m. doing my cardio, and you would come in with your guys and work out and do the wackiest freaking workouts I've ever seen. <laughs> but you do it 
because you love the competition. You love being together, the pushing each other. And that is something that is so rare as you get older, you know, and it's definitely watching from afar. When I look at that is something that I, I consider admirable about the guys that you, you train with and the way you train. This, uh, this last rapid fire question is something I ask everybody. What is one life lesson you can give me on how to simplify or remove clutter from my life? So I think um, everybody needs something in life that they go to outside of work, family, significant other, et cetera, that they could just go to and be at peace with and do, you know, kind of forget about life for a while. For me, that's working out, that's training. For other people, it could be fishing, painting, doing, doing some sort of homework, but something just, you know, where you could kind of zone out for however, 30 minutes a day, an hour, hour and a half, where you can just kind of get, get away, forget about life and do your own thing and, and you know, do what makes you happy. Um, there's a song, I'm, I'm a huge Springsteen fan, there's a Springsteen song that comes to mind when I think about that. Uh, it's called Racing in the Street. Now, the, the particular song is a guy who's passionate about street racing, but the street racing is just a metaphor. It could be anything. And then one of the lyrics in the song that really gets me is uh, he goes, now some guys just give up living and start dying little by little, piece by piece. And some guys come home from work and wash up and go racing in the streets. Basically saying, you know, there's some guys and I could, there's guys I work with, they, they go to work, they go home, they eat dinner, they hang out with their family, watch TV for a little bit, go to sleep, and they do the same thing over again. That's not living, you know, at least to me. I think you need something that you could go to outside of that where you could, you know, be passionate about. No matter how old you are, no matter how, it could be for 20 minutes a day, two hours a day. I think it's something that's so important because that's, that's what living is, you know, passion. I, I love that. And I, I, I can't remember the quote exactly from Ben Franklin, but it's like most men die at 25. We just don't bury them till they're 75. Kind of like you just give up your whole life. Exactly. Exactly. Spot on. So I, I would love to end it there, but I can't. So I have to ask you, there's, there's a story of you going to a wedding, Russo's on the bay, and you bring your own Tupperware filled with food so you can – Three, yeah, three. <laughs> three of tu- three different Tupperware. So this is a true story. This is a true story. Uh, Joe Tronzo's wedding. Yeah, I had like great – the spread he had was probably the best I ever seen. Cocktail hour to the nine. You know, and I brought my three meals. I, I was prepping for a bodybuilding show at the time. Um, tilapia and asparagus, all three meals. Funny, Manos actually brought Tupperware, but he brought Tupperware so he could bring food home. He was having his wife like put, Jack, get this, get this, and, and you know, having to put food in the Tupperware so he could bring home. But you know, people were looking at me like, what, what is this guy doing? But that is a, a true story. I brought my meals to, to the wedding, and it's not the first time that's happened, to be honest. So, so part of this is yesterday morning, I, the guys were asking me when we were training, what do you eat for breakfast? Now, what I eat is. I, I don't do this every morning, but a lot of mornings I'll have sardines, beans, and sauerkraut. And these guys say, it's not worth it. Like, it is not, I can't believe you do that. It's not worth it. So I'm going to ask you, you're all jacked up. Is it worth doing what you're doing? Are you, do people consider you fun? Do they think you're a bore? Like, tell me. So I think it it, it all depends. Like, I, if your goal is look good, look good on the beach, you want to be jacked to take pictures, get girls or whatever. It's, it's not worth it, and it's also you will never, ever get to the level. I don't want to put myself on a pedestal, but you'll never, ever get to a level where I'm at or, you know, other bodybuilders are at because there needs to be more than 
you have to enjoy it is what I'm trying to say. I enjoy training. I enjoy the suffer. I enjoy the science behind the nutrition. I enjoy watching my body change on the daily. Um, so to me, it is worth it because there's nothing else I would rather be doing. I don't feel like ah, I'm missing out on the club. I'm missing out on going to a bar because anytime I do go to the bar or do go to the club, I say, I wish I would have stayed home and just stayed with my diet. So I enjoy this more than anything. And if, like you said, if your if your only goal is to look good, then no, this lifestyle is not worth it. And not only that, you will not go very far in this lifestyle if you're trying to have balance. Because if you want to be a good bodybuilder, there is no balance. It's one of the most selfish things you could do. Um, luckily, I'm single and I have a job that is very uh, flexible. You know, I work it's like a part-time job, basically. I work about 10, 12 days a month. So it's very easy for me to, you know, schedule things, but it's still very difficult. But for guys that are married or in a relationship, if you have a partner that isn't understanding of the lifestyle, there's going to be a lot of tension and a lot of friction. And that's probably why you see a lot of people in the fitness industry date other people in the fitness industry because they're fitness industry because they're compatible and they, you know, I, I am so well. The two things I got to hit on. One is I'm so glad you said that because I told you I went to a nutritionist. He was a professional bodybuilder. I think he's Mr. New Jersey, 1995. Uh, he'll tell you that he's not shy about it. So, oh, yeah, I sure. Got, Point, and I'll just say the number. I'm not, I'm not ashamed to say it. I got into 12% body fat, which does not make me a, a competitive bodybuilder by any stretch of the imagination, but I had gotten from 19.5 to 12. And then he told me, stop, because if you cross this threshold, you're going to ruin whatever life you have with the, the person you're living with, my wife, obviously, because we're, we're yes. she's not a competitive bodybuilder. She trains super hard, but she also knows how to appreciate life. So uh, he, he stopped me and pumped the brakes. So, and he said he went through it himself, the exact thing that you just said. The, uh... And yes, and it's something, you know, when I first got involved in bodybuilding, a lot of bodybuilders would tell me, pro bodybuilders would tell me, like, you're probably going to burn, burn yourself out, meaning you're going to get tired of it. In my mind, I'm like, no way, because I, I love this crap. This is, you know, I, I was like, there's no way I'll ever get tired of it. But after... After I did, you know, my second national level show, I kind of said to myself, is it is it really worth it? Like I'm sacrificing a lot, a lot of my social life um, for something for essentially a hobby. You know, I'm not going to I have I have a profession. This is not something that's going to make me rich or famous in any way. This is a hobby. So I kind of I told myself in the beginning when I have all this, when this stopped being fun, I would probably stop competing. And that's where I'm at now. doesn't mean I still don't train like an animal. I'm still extremely regimented, probably more regimented than 99% of the population. It just means I'm a little more balanced. If I want to have something to eat, I'll have it. You know, I'm not going to lock myself down and just, you know, hunk, bunker down and be all about bodybuilding. I think I kind of burnt myself out. So I'm going to end with this, though, because what you said gave me a whole new perspective on bodybuilding and a whole new appreciation of you. I thought you were going to say – if you want to look good at the beat and pick up girls, then it is worth it. And I was thinking, like, that's why I thought that's why most guys did this. But no, you talk I think that's something that will only take you so far. I mean, don't get me wrong. Me looking like this definitely helps in that department. Uh, some of the girls I get with, I think, are definitely way out of my league. Um, but I think that will only take you so far. You're going to come to a point where you're going to say, I mean, again, when it comes to being a bodybuilder and as fanatical about it as I am, if that's your only goal and objective, then no, you're going to stop because it's just it's it, this, it does become very difficult mentally and physically to live this lifestyle.
Listen, man, this has been an awesome podcast. You clearly are a student of the game. You love to help people. How can people reach out to you to learn more? Um, if, if anybody has my number, don't uh, ever hesitate to reach out and text me. Um, I know I have – people think I'm not approachable. I have, like, uh, whatever the male version of a resting bitch face is. <laughs> um, but I am, I'm always willing to help anyone out. This is – I want it, I want people to be, be better, feel better about themselves, be more confident. So if anybody has any questions, text me. You can reach out to me on Instagram. I'm sure there's some way you could find a way to get in contact with me, and I'll always answer you, and I'm always willing to help out any way I can. So, What is your handle on Instagram? I, I think it's Matt Castellano. Uh, I think there might be an underscore in there. Uh, the O may be a zero. To be honest, I'm not 100% sure, but if you put it up in your profile or whatever um, – that that's cool with me and people could, you know, message me or whatever. Awesome. I'm going to tag him on the post people and I will attest to it. I have been barding, bombarding this guy with questions for the last week and he's answered every single one of them. Matt, thank you so much. This has been great. Uh, I look forward to talking to you soon. Coach, it was a pleasure. I love you, man. It was nice going down memory lane and uh, talking shop again. All right, man. Love you too. Talk to you soon. Bye. Talk to you later. Bye.